Colossians chapter 1. When, when I was 15 years old, I got, out of, got on a plane in Minneapolis and flew to Los Angeles um, to meet my brother who was in school out there. And then he and I were going to drive back together from L.A. to um, northern Iowa. And... Um, This was the first time I'd ever flown, and I get on the plane, and I'm in a middle seat, and um, this lady sitting next to me said, "Um, is this your first time flying? I had no idea how she could tell. (laughs) And um, I said, yeah, and, and she, she said, would you like to sit next to the window? So you could see, I said, sure. And man, that was such a neat experience. I mean, when you've been earthbound all your life, and then you get up and you see everything from a different perspective, it's like, whoa, you know, and you see the little roads down there, and then you get high enough, you don't even see the roads, and you're looking down on the clouds, and it was just a... A great experience, Um, although my brother was supposed to meet me at the L.A. airport. I must have a history of this when I think about this now. He wasn't there. So here I am, a 15-year-old Midwestern boy in Los Angeles, and um, he wasn't there, and, and she took me under her wing again and said, here, I'll take you to where he should be coming in, and here's, here's my phone number. If something happens and he doesn't show up, you call me. And um, that meant you had to have the right change in your pocket to go use a pay phone. All right? So all of those things. This was back in the day when you could smoke on airlines, too. Not that I smoke, but just to tell you, You need to give people our age some respect, what we've lived through, all right? I mean, you had to have some fortitude to make it this far in life. Amen? All right. See, they can hardly say amen anymore, all right? But it was such a neat perspective looking out over. And that's why I love getting on Google Maps and hit the satellite. If I'm going someplace, I like to then hit the satellite view so I can see, okay, this is near it, and there's a big grove of trees right here, and once I pass that, I'll take a right. And it's like, okay, I see the big picture here. I don't like being dependent on um, my GPS. Take the next right, you know. Uh they don't always have the next right right. So at um, any rate, um, seeing a big perspective changes everything. And this morning, I'd like to zoom out, if you please, and see a big perspective. And then we want to zoom in and see some of the application of that in our life. 
And really, what we want to do is try to piece together a few of the things that are in the Bible. I mean, many a person has started reading through the Bible and they start in Genesis and it's pretty exciting in Genesis. There's all kinds of things happening and stories and exciting events. And then they hit Exodus and it's pretty pretty exciting too, but near the end of Exodus it starts. And then they hit Leviticus and it's all these Levitical laws and and all these details, and there are more reading through the Bible plans buried in the book of Leviticus than any other book in the Bible. And and honestly, you read through those things, and and you're reading, you need to put 50 latches on the, the corner of this piece of garment for the tabernacle and the gold rings, and it lists all these things, and it's like, Oh, give me a break. And so you think, I'll skip ahead. So you get to Chronicles and you're reading the ge- the genealogies of everyone there. And you think, oh my, I just can't handle all this. What What is God's purpose? I'm not going to answer this morning God's purpose for all of those things. But I want us to see the big picture of God's relationship with man. We know, the Bible tells us, God created man, and we were created for fellowship with God. In the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, man was in fellowship with God. God would come and and walk with man, and they they had fellowship in the Garden of Eden. And of course, we know sin broke that fellowship, and immediately Adam and Eve hid themselves because of their sin and their guilt, and the fellowship was with God was broken. And we see the results of that through the rest of Genesis. Um, Death came into the world and trouble and, and difficulty and tribulation. And then God, to show the separation, to show man that there's no way in and of himself that he can restore fellowship to God, God gave the Ten Commandments and said, these are my heart. This is what I expect. And in giving the Ten Commandments, He gave ten evidences that we cannot be what God expects. We are are far from fulfilling any of them, and, and we fall short of the glory of God. And that was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show us our sin and and eventually to bring us to Christ. So, in all of this, God is at work, and God in His sovereignty chooses Abraham, and chooses Abraham to make a great nation out of Abraham. And He says, you will be my special people, 
and and uh, you are the apple of my eye, and they they are um, very very special to God, and God raises up um, the Israel nation, and um, He shows His presence to them. Again, we're we're skipping a rock across a lot of things here today, but He provides. <clears throat> Through the leadership of Israel, he provides leadership by giving them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them, to manifest his presence to them. They knew when they should go and when they should stop. When the, in the daytime, when the pillar of cloud moved, they were to move. And when it stopped, that's where they were to stop. And that's where they were to camp. And in the midst of this, even the wanderings in the wildernesses, God provided a portable place, a tabernacle for them to meet. And you will see here a picture, so to speak, of the tabernacle. It was first mentioned in the book of Exodus. It is a portable sanctuary that God gave specific directions on how to make all the, the poles and the garments and the loops and the latches and every detail about it. And they carried it with them in the wilderness. And it was considered to be the earthly dwelling place of God. In the tabernacle, you'll see... Um, just a, a rough outline of the design of the tabernacle and what it is. So there was the altar of burnt offering. You see the entrance there on the right. Then the altar of burnt offering. And you read about all these things. What are to be done to, to offer on the, on the burnt offering? And then the high priest would go to the laver and, and do a cleansing ceremony. And then... He would enter into the holy place. And in the holy place, there were, again, we don't have time today to go, but every detail of it points toward God, points toward His plan, points toward Jesus Christ. But once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And um, once a year, he entered into this place it was on the Day of Atonement. He offered a sacrifice for an atonement for forgiveness for the sins of Israel. This was a holy, holy place that only he could go into after great, great ceremonial cleansings. And, and they would tie to his, his garments bells to make sure that um, if they failed to hear the bells moving in there, they would know that he died in there. And they knew this is a holy place. If he comes in with sin, God will strike him dead. So it was of great, great seriousness and importance. And once a year, he would go into that. So God provided a, a place... Um, they viewed it as the earthly dwelling place of God. 
Well, as Israel went on and became established in the land, David conquered the enemies and he wanted to build a temple, a permanent place to offer sacrifices, a permanent place to meet God. And God said, David, you can't do that. You are a man of war and a man of war cannot build my temple and it will be your son Solomon. And David didn't go pout. He said, okay, I'm going to gather all the equipment and stuff. I'm going to help my son build this. And Solomon built it called Solomon's Temple. It was a temple that um, was magnificent in every way. The inside of it was a hundred and 80 feet long. It was 90 feet wide. The highest point of the temple that King Solomon built was about 20 stories or over 200 feet. And they would sacrifice um, in the temple. They would, as, as they did in the tabernacle, the high priest would enter in once a year and offer the offerings into the Holy of Holies. And, and this was the key focal place for Israel. This temple was then destroyed, judgment of God and so on, was destroyed. And um, a second temple was later built, and it wasn't... It wasn't um, near the glory of this first temple. Uh, The ark did not have the Ten Commandments on the plates of stone because when the first temple was destroyed, the Babylonians destroyed everything. So even the Holy of Holies, which had the Ark of the Covenant and the tablets of stone of the Ten Commandments, it was a shell of the original temple. But still, it was the place where they went to offer sacrifices. They went to have the atonement for sin. It it taught much about God and His character and His nature. Um, The second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And to this day, Jewish people pray three times a day for the temple's restoration. They have everything in plan. Once they get the okay to go ahead, they have the stones cut. They have all the instruments made. They have everything in plan to build the third temple, which will be built. We know that because in the seven-year period of tribulation, Antichrist enters into the temple and offers a pig in desecration on the altar and defies God and so on. So the temple is is very, very important, and especially to the Jewish people. Well, God was establishing all of these things to help people realize that Every year they had to offer the spotless lamb. But then God sent the Lamb of God. 
the spotless Lamb of God that offered once and for all forgiveness of sins. God had provided a a portable meeting place with God. He then provided a more more permanent place in a temple. But now he brought an end. Jesus Christ brought an end to all the sacrifices He is the Lamb of God that was slain once and for all. The penalty for sin is paid for. He said, it is finished. And he provided his son to forgive sin. Now, up until this time, it was all about Israel. It was all about Jews. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ was now offered to Jews and non-Jews. Well, this, this was a grinding of the gears for the Jews. We are God's people. They are not. They are anathema. But God provided forgiveness of sins for all mankind... And again, this is the church age that he's talking about. And we are the benefits of this today because we have the privilege of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And the next step of man's relationship with God is that God said that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he says... Him that calls on me, excuse me, him that calls on me, I will give to him my spirit. And his spirit dwells within every believer. So that he said, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? When Christ was crucified, we read that the veil was rent in two from the top to the bottom. This is the veil that was made of of heavy, thick, woven uh, garments of of sheep's wool. And and it was rent from the top to the bottom. They tell us it's about 20 feet tall. It is only God that could tear that. And what he did when he was crucified, he made access for all mankind to come into the Holy of Holies. Only one person in Israel was able to do that once a year. And now every believer in Jesus Christ can walk into the presence of God. We have access to God. And not only that... The Spirit of God dwells within us. We are not the tabernacle. We are not some temple of a building. We are the dwelling place of God. And this is what Paul is talking about. He said, we're here to declare unto you this mystery. It's a mystery that has been kept in the dark for a long time. Doesn't mean it's a mystery like no one can figure it out. It means 
God in his revealing process reveals a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit more until, oh, now, now we see. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know the rich and glorious fellowship with God himself made possible only through Jesus Christ. So, we come to realize that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is incredible. Once a year, one man, now I, I have all of God dwelling within me as a believer. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? This is, this is just incredible. And I really believe in, in my brief life experience, I've shared with you before, when, when we were in Ukraine, we visited a Messianic um, Jewish church, meaning they are Jews that trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And their joy, that, it's the most joyous service I've ever been in. And it wasn't because of of atmosphere or music, it was because they realized all the history of the tabernacle, of the temple, of once a year, one person alone gets to go in there, and it's with great fear and intrepidation, and now I have God dwelling within me, and it radically changed their lives. But often for us, we fail to realize what we have in Christ. And, and understanding, as Paul said in, he, in this passage, verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ in you. Not Christ in the Holy of Holies. Not Christ in the tabernacle. It is Christ in you. And understanding Christ in you should produce a number of things in our lives. Number one, it it should cause us to be grateful beyond measure. Paul said in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings to you. One of the characteristics about Paul was he was filled with joy. And the reason he was filled with joy, whether in prison, whether being run out of town, whether being stoned or whipped, the reason he had joy, he knew it's Christ in me. Christ is in me. He's not in the Holy of Holies. He's not a distant God. It is Christ in me. And he was filled with, with gratefulness. The, the, this idea that Christ would take permanent residence in my body. I mean, we are just a pile of dust. And yet he wants to dwell in us a pile of dust. And he wants to be that close to us and minister to us and help us and empower us 
we should be forever grateful to know, wow, I, I don't have to handle anything in life alone. He will never leave me nor forsake me. When the high priest left the holiest place and was gone then for a year, they weren't hearing from God as we hear from God. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and it should cause us to be filled with gratefulness. Secondly, understanding Christ in you causes us to endure suffering. Notice verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking of the afflictions of Christ. And, And again, Paul talks much about suffering. But what Paul is saying here is he knew that suffering was inevitable because they persecuted Christ. He knew they would also persecute me. He wasn't saying in, in our English translation, it sounds like Christ's suffering wasn't enough So we have to come along and make up the suffering. We know that Christ's suffering paid the penalty for sin because Christ said it is finished. So there's nothing we can do for our salvation. But what Paul is saying is, it's it's similar to illustrate it in a relay race. The first runner runs and then he hands the baton to the second runner. The second runner grabs the baton And it's his turn to run. And Paul is saying, if the first runner was persecuted and suffered, who am I to think as he hands that baton to me, that as I take that baton and run, that I will not suffer, but Christ is in me. So he will give me the grace. He will give me the power. He will give me the strength. And, and in essence, Paul's saying, it's, it's my turn on the platform, so to speak. It's my turn in the race. And he said, if this is what God's called me to, I will do it. See, you understand the enemies of Christ were never satisfied with what they did to Jesus. They hated Jesus with an insatiable hatred. They want to add to his suffering. And if these people are his children, if they're followers of him, then you would expect the church to be attacked. And they were. They were whipped. They were burned at the stake. They were thrown to lions. And Satan still has that hatred for followers of Christ. But because... They have Christ in them. They are able to have the grace and the power to endure. And that's why God says, don't fear what man can do to you. Man can only kill the body. Fear him that can kill both body and spirit. And so he says, You are a follower of mine. It is Christ in you. This is the mystery. And it's for Jews and non-Jews. It's for all people. And a special blessing is given in Matthew chapter 5 to those who suffer for Christ's sake. And so he said, when you fully grasp, man, Christ is in me, 
And that may mean I'll suffer, but I have all the resources to respond right in the midst of whatever comes in life because Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me, verse 27, we have a glorious future, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me guarantees future glories. We are members of his family. We look forward to a grand reunion with him throughout all eternity. And it is Christ in us. And only those who have Christ in them have a glorious future. People that have good works or religion or other things um, don't have a glorious future. It is only Christ in us. I visited with a man this week, and, and uh, he, he knows I'm a preacher. And, and I gave him uh, a little pamphlet to read. And I said, I am, not, I am not interested in you. I'm not trying to get you to come to our church. I'm not trying to get you to follow a religion. I said, I despise religion as much as a lot of people. And his eyes got big. And he thought, this is a preacher. He shouldn't say, be saying he despises religion. I said, religion is a tool of God. We are to have a relationship with God. And it is that relationship, Christ in us, that gives us a future glory. It's not, I've been baptized, that gives me a future glory. Baptism is, an, is very, very important, but it's an outward expression that Christ is in me. I've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am depending on his death, his burial, that's what baptism symbolizes, and his resurrection. And it's an outward testimony of it. But it's Christ in us that gives us the future glory. Then, another thing that Christ in me causes is given in verse 29. And to this end I also labor... Striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Okay? He said, we preach Christ. It is Christ in us, the future glory. And it is to this end, I train myself to be disciplined in the discipline of self-denial because of what Christ has done for me. He is in me. And so I bring under my body, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I bring it into subjection. I'm no longer letting my flesh or my mind rule me. I'm letting the one who is in me, Christ, rule me. He is the master of my life. So that means I must, I must, and Paul said, I labor striving the, the words that he uses there, labor and striving, are agonizingly, I go to this end. With great discipline, I bring in and I say, no, we're not going there. No, we're not going to think those thoughts. No, I'm not going to read that. It, doesn't, it isn't what Christ would want me to do. And it's that <clears throat> personal discipline that makes a difference. 
And you might say, well, that makes it sound like it's all up to me. Well, we are to be hardworking, disciplined servants of God who depend on God. Verse 29. This is a perfect melting together. Verse 29. To this end, I, Paul said, I labor, I'm striving according to the working which He does mightily in me. We depend on God's power, but it takes our energy, it takes our discipline. It's not, I'll just sit back here and pray for God to give me victory. No. We have to take the steps of discipline. And and we need to bring under our body, we need to say no, Roll yourself out of bed and go read the Bible. We need to bring the discipline. Listen, we are the temple of God. He is dwelling within us. They would think, they would never think of bringing something that defiles into the temple. And, and out of great respect that they had for God, they followed to the letter of the law. We are now fulfilled the law through Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean we're carefree. We can just go do anything we want. We have a license to sin. No condemnation. Now I fear Jesus is mine. So I can go. No. We are committed. We have a a disciplined mentality. I am here to serve Paul in this passage, and you'll deal with it more tonight. He said, I'm a minister, a servant, one who serves others, a hardworking, I labor, hardworking. The Christian life isn't just sit back and relax and enjoy the ride to heaven, wait for the next load that's going up. It is, we are here to serve, we are here to minister, and it involves labor, it involves vulnerability, it involves heartache. And Paul in the other passage said, Olympic athletes, they are very, very disciplined. They they bring things into their life to, to push them, to make them stronger And they say no to many things because they're saying yes to this. He said, they do it for a corruptible crown. They do it for something that's going to disappear. He said, how much more should we be disciplined in our walk with God because we're doing it for an incorruptible crown. We're doing it for a crown that lasts for all eternities. So, In realizing, wow, we were made for fellowship with God. Sin broke the fellowship. God has shown himself in many ways throughout all of history with Israel and with us. And he sent his son so that we would have Christ dwelling within us. Even better than Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Christ would visit them in the garden. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We have the Word of God that we have access to. The Spirit of God wrote the Word of God. He will teach us the Word as we expose ourselves to it. And he says, 
This is a mystery that has been revealed. Christ in me. Amazing. Incredible. And now he's left us here to be a hardworking, diligent servant of the Lord who depends on God for grace and glory. I like, I like how um, one translation put it. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of your background, regardless of your religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing God's glory. It's that simple. That's the substance of our message, Christ in you. We, pre- we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message, not to add to Christ. We teach in a spirit of profound truth so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is basic. It is Christ. No more or, or no less. See, to be mature is is basic. What is it? Christ. No more or no less. That's why I'm working so hard day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives to me. So I ask, can you say I'm working so hard day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so graciously gives me? If we truly grasp the truth, it's Christ in me, we will. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would see the rich, rich, rich blessings that we have living in this age of grace, of Christ in us. And Lord, I pray that our lives would reflect that you are in us. And I pray if there's anyone here today who is, has never called for the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, and they know Christ is not in them, Lord, I pray today that they would call upon you. Lord, I pray for every believer that, that we wouldn't just put Christ in a corner of our life, save it for when we die, our ticket to heaven, But, Lord, that we would make you our life. That that would be the message of our life is Christ. And, Lord, that the reality of future glory would motivate, encourage, equip us to endure whatever may come in our life. So, Lord, I pray that we would come to grasp as never before the glorious gift of you in us. What a gift. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.